Go ahead and be seated. Look at this room full of all these idiotes. If you weren't here last week, that's really not an insult, but um, we talked about last week how God uses ordinary um, people to do great things, and so um, the Greek word for uh, ordinary unschooled was idiotes, and so um, that's where that came from, really not calling you idiots, so don't, uh, don't get mad. But um, I'm glad to see you and excited for today and um, continuing this series called Opportunity and Opposition and uh, just looking at the opportunities we have in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also looking at how opposition comes against us in those things. And today we're going to talk about one of the biggest um, oppositions that we have to living the Christian life, to being used by God, to seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the opposition of me, right? <laughs> How many of you would say I'm like my biggest worst enemy? Anybody? That's, that's me for sure. Like I can be my biggest enemy, um, my own self. And so today we're going to talk about the opportunity of life in the spirit but also look at the opposition of the flesh. Um, you hear that a lot in church, the flesh, the flesh. What, what is the flesh? Well, when I say flesh, what I mean is not like the, the, the flesh on my bones as much as I mean that inward sinful desire that tends to take me away from God. You know what I'm saying? That, that inward pull that exists. Even after I come to Christ, there's this this. this pull towards sin so many times, unless I'm just abnormal, you have that too, right? So we have this draw, this pull that kind of leans us towards sin. And so when I speak about the flesh today, that's what I mean. It's this inward, um, even after we're saved, even after we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we still have this war, this battle that at times goes on inside of us to pull us away from Christ instead of leading us towards Christ. And so let's look at, um, go to Galatians chapter five first. I wanna start there. Then we're gonna flip back to Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts and been in Acts chapter four. I wanna go back to some of the passages we've already looked at in this series today. But I want us to start in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. And it says this, it says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, the Spirit um, leads us into righteousness. We're not bound to just following rules. Um, now, so listen, we see this, this battle is going on. This is what Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia. Now go back to Acts chapter two. John uh, preached on these a couple of weeks ago. But look at verse 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, Acts chapter 4, the very end of this chapter, let's look at verse 32 down to 35. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, or one in heart and soul. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace. We talked about grace last week, God doing in us and for us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. So God's grace was working in them, for them, through them so powerfully that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I want you to know this real quick before we pray that in Acts 2, 42 through 47 and Acts 4, 32 through 35, the, 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 what precedes this incredible showing of community and this mighty work of God is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to really be able to see this, that the Holy Spirit is what created this incredible, new, unique, distinct community. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that it shows us the opportunity we have when we walk in your spirit. God, to be transformed. God, to be not just made new through faith in Christ, but created new, God, as we walk in the power of your spirit, God. We thank you for that. God, we thank you that your word reveals the opposition to us and how to overcome that opposition. And so God, today, I pray we would be challenged and encouraged that God, um, there is more of you in front of us. There is more transformation ahead of us. There's more power and, and work that you're going to do for us, in us, and through us, God, as we move forward. And so God, we thank you for that. We praise you this morning. And Lord, I pray just as we sing, sing, let the light in, Lord, that the light of your word, the very light of Jesus, the light of the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts, that we would open up those corners of our lives to let your light, your healing, redeeming light shine in. So God, we give you this time. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if we're going to live this life, um, something has to happen. You know, we recognize this battle. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about this. It basically says that the spirit is at war with the flesh. The spirit is at war with our sinful desires, and, and it's challenging. As I got into ministry, um, I went through a lot of challenging times, and not just challenging like it was difficult at times, but challenging times where I made myself look even dumber than I really am. It's hard to do that, but I did. Um, and, and I oftentimes encourage you, like when you're stepping into something God's leading you towards, you're gonna, you're gonna share your faith with somebody, you're stepping into a ministry opportunity, I often encourage you, and, and I tell you this, you're gonna fall, but just fall forward. Like you're not gonna get it perfect, you're gonna have to grow in these things. And so when I first started out in ministry, 
Um, I had all kind of bumps in the road, especially when I was speaking. Uh, I could tell you story after story after story of times that, that I really screwed it up when I was speaking. I want to tell you one example of that this morning that was extremely embarrassing. I had some students in the youth group I was leading um, who were in the Boy Scouts, and one of them was getting an Eagle Scout award, which you know, that is a big deal. It takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of um, discipline. Um, in order for you to be able to get an Eagle Scout badge. Well, they asked me to come and speak at their Eagle Scout ceremony. And so I went to this and, and I was gonna talk about discipline because like I said, it takes a lot of discipline in order for you to be able to get to that place of receiving this award. And so as I'm talking about this, I go in and I'm talking about discipline and I used an example of being on a diet. And so I said, you know, I've started so many diets and I've set out with good intentions. And, and so I would be doing good. And then all of a sudden though, if I saw a good looking brownie, it was hard to resist that. And I didn't even catch what I'd said. Boy Scouts, brownies, right? I'm like, didn't even catch it at first. But I noticed this one lady sitting in the crowd and she just starts dying laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? I'm like, is my zipper down? You know, I don't know what's going on. Like, what's happening? And so, it's not, is it? Okay, that's one of my biggest fears. I check my zipper like 400 times before I come. I'm like, yes, Jesus, you know, because it, it just worries me. Um, and so, seriously, like 50 times before I preach. And so, um, anyway, uh, I, I'm like, you know, I can't resist a good looking brownie. She's laughing and I don't even know. I'm like, well, okay, good, all right, whatever. And I finished the, this talk and I go and I sit down and as soon as my butt hit the seat, I, it hit me what I'd said. I'm like, oh my gosh. I wanted to stand back up and go, I'm not a sicko, people. I'm really not, I'm not, I promise. And so I was stating a truth, right? But just probably didn't say it in the best way I could have said it. Why couldn't I just say cake? You know, um, but anyway, the truth of it was true, right? It was the, the, the sentiment, of it, it was true that it's tough sometimes when we're setting out to do something good, but it takes so much discipline. The flesh pulls on us so hard towards things that oftentimes are challenging. It pulls us away from those things. And as Christians, I want you to understand this. We have an incredible amount of opportunity because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. As, as we said last week, we are idiotes. We are ordinary people, especially when compared to God. But this extraordinary God lives inside of ordinary people, so there's incredible potential. There's incredible opportunity that's within us, but we also have to realize that there is a real opposition to us becoming and, and even doing the things that God has for us to do. And one of those real oppositions is our flesh. When Susan and I had first gotten married, we had a lot of crazy dream stories, like like. One night she woke up, and, or I woke up, and she's like kicking the covers off and like just going berserk. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? What did she do before she went to bed? And she's kicking off, and, and, and then I'm like, Susan, wake up, wake up. I was like, she had a seizure. I didn't know what was happening. And so I'm like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And she starts laughing. I'm like, well, I'm glad you find this funny now that my heart's beating 180 miles an hour and I won't be able to go back to sleep. And, and she's, I was like, what are you dreaming? And she's like, I was dreaming I was kicking chickens out of a fence. Why? 
And then another night we were asleep and, and, and I was like really asleep. And how many of you have ever had this experience where you like lay on your arm and your arm goes to sleep? Is that not the worst? Cause you, you're like, <laughs> like, is it ever, am I ever going to be able to feel my arm again? You don't even know what's going on. And so I'm laying on my arm like this on and the, it's under the pillow. And I woke up for something and I hadn't realized my arm was asleep and I woke up and lifted up my head and all of a sudden a hand just hits me in the face. And I looked at Susan, I wrote her, I was like, why'd you do that? And she's like, what? She was waking up, she's like, what? I'm like, hit me in the face. She's like, I didn't hit you in the face. And then I realized my arm was so dead and so asleep, like I had no control over it. No control over it. And I say, say this, like how many times do we set out to do something really good. We set out with the right direction, the right intention, and we just smack ourselves in the face. Like we, we just get in our own way. Like we become our own worst enemy. And yet Acts 2, 42 through 47, or Acts 4, 32 through 35, they show us the incredible potential, not just that we have as individuals, but that the church has that God has given the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we will never realize this apart from the Holy Spirit. We will never realize this until we become a people who walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We'll never become who we have the opportunity to be. And listen, if you wanna write something down, write this down. We'll never become who we have the opportunity to be individually or corporately if producing the character and nature of God is a forced function of behavior modification and not a natural outflow of heart transformation. I'm gonna say that again, that's a lot of words. I'm gonna say it slow. Never. It's like when I was teaching my kids to say a word, like you give them one syllable at a time, like trans, trans, four, four, may, may, shun. Now say it all together, transformation. Anybody have, no. Me. So never, we'll never become who we have the opportunity to be, and that includes individually and corporately. We'll never have the opportunity to be individually or corporately if producing the character, nature of God, or nature of God, is a forced function of behavior modification. So if producing the character and nature of God is a forced function of behavior modification, it's never gonna happen. It has to be the natural outflow of heart transformation. Never happen if we're just about behavior modification. Transformation, listen, transformation is never going to happen as a result of willpower. It will only happen through the Holy Spirit's power. It's not gonna happen through my willpower. I hope most of you've lived long enough to understand this, that you can't will yourself to godliness. You might for a moment, but then it doesn't last very long. It only happens through dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Behavior modification, listen, just trying to change my behavior just trying to make me a better person, kind of a self-help um, um, focus or, or a way to approach Christianity. This self-help behavior modification um, kind of thing, it, it's always going to surrender to the opposition of the flesh. 
If, if not, then the law, the rules would have been good enough. We could have just followed the rules. But the reason the rules didn't work was not because the rules weren't good. It's because our flesh is strong. And we cannot overcome the flesh in our own power. And we should not settle for being a people who just try to live out these rules, who just try to live out of our willpower to make ourselves who we are supposed to be or who we think we're supposed to be. That shouldn't be how this happens. These characteristics and attributes that we have should exist because that's who we are and who we're becoming not because of a religious performance. Many times it's just a religious performance. It should happen because there's heart transformation, not one time, but continually happening in our lives. So how does this happen? It happens through transformational or through a transformational relationship with Jesus. A transformational relationship with Jesus. If we are going to become the people, the community, the church that God has given us opportunity to be because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it will happen through a transformational relationship with Jesus. A transformational relationship is this. It's a relationship that causes heart change, not behavior modification. Church is great at behavior modification. We can be the biggest, you know what, outside the doors and we walk in the doors and all of a sudden we got it together, right? But it's not about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation. So here's a couple of things I want you to write down this morning about a transformational relationship. This is what we all need. If we're going to live out of the spirit, we need this transformational relationship with Jesus. And understand this, the first thing I want you to write down is this, a transformational relationship with Jesus is birthed out of devotion, not duty. A transformational relationship with Jesus is birthed out of devotion, not duty. Okay? So we go back to Acts chapter two. The very first thing it says in verse 42 is they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. It it should be out of devotion, not out of duty. So listen to this, devotion, define. This is the definition I found um, when I looked up devotion. It's love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Duty, this is what this is. It's a moral obligation, something you have to do, a moral obligation. The church, early church was devoted to God, to one another, to his word, to prayer. It wasn't a religious duty. It wasn't a religious performance. Go to Hebrews now. If you're in Acts, go to the right So you come to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. I think this may be the greatest verse in the Bible that shows the contrast of devotion and duty. It really shows us what duty is and what it becomes, what this this religious duty is. Verse 11 in chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. This is talking about the sacrifices the priest made 
in those days before Christ. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I wanna go and kind of break that down a little bit because I want you to see what religious duty looks like. First of all, it says it's day after day. When you read that verse, does it not sound exhausting? Like it's like day after day. You ever had to do anything day after day, like go to work? Day after day, I go to work. Day after day, I don't like my boss. Day after day. And so one, this religious duty is exhausting. The second thing it says, it says again and again. Day after day, again and again. It's also this tedious exercise, this religious duty. It's a tedious exercise. It's just long and slow and dull. So exhaustingly, I go and I do this long and dull and slow exercise. It goes on and it tells us they, day after day, again and again, they perform these religious duties. In other words, they're doing this religious performance. They're doing this thing that they just do because it's what they're supposed to do. It's a moral obligation. It also says they make the same sacrifices. Does this not just sound awful? So day after day, again and again, they perform these religious duties. They make the same sacrifices. It's a little graphic. They make the same sacrifices over and over again and again, day after day. They're just going through this toilsome labor, this, this just going through these motions that never really do what we think it's going to do. And so it says it never takes away sin. How frustrating that day after day, again and again, I perform a religious duty over and over, doing the same thing again and again, knowing that the outcome is going to be the same. Nothing. But let me ask you this question. How much does that sound like church? So many times, how many of your, your experience with God even could be summed up with this? Day after day, again and again, I went to church and I went to small group and I went to Sunday school and I went to the Bible study and I got up for my 10 minutes of prayer and reading the word and again and again and again, but it became frustrating because nothing ever seemed to happen. I guarantee you that's why so many people are not in the church today. And can you blame them? But here's the thing I can tell you, and this is, this is the truth, guys. That's not the God that we serve. That's not how a relationship with him has to be. 
when it's born out of devotion and not duty. Listen, when we have, as we talked about last week, this great revelation of grace, the Holy Spirit pours himself into us and we surrender our lives to Jesus and we realize it's more than a religious performance and we come to Jesus and we fall at his feet and we say, God, I need more of you. There is more of him to be found. Think about the difference in Acts 2, 42 through 47 and Acts 4, 32 through 35. Think about the difference in Acts 2, 42 through 47, Acts 4, 32 through 35 compared to Hebrews chapter 10. verse 11. We see words like devoted. We see words like awe-inspired. We see words like grace. We see words like power. We see words where they're being generous. We see words where they're living... Um, empowered lives and they're changing lives. People are coming to know the Lord. It does not sound dull and slow and unexciting. So a transformational relationship with Jesus is birthed out of duty. It's birthed, or birthed out of devotion, not duty. It's birthed out of a great revelation of God's grace and a continued revealing of that grace in our lives. This relationship with God empowered by the Holy Spirit gives us this devotion. And I want to be clear about something. This is the second thing I want to tell you. It's not always rainbows and lollipops. Like just because I have a devotion to Christ doesn't mean it's always easy. Why? Because of my flesh. Because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the second thing I want you to understand about this, if we're gonna seize the opportunity of the Spirit of God living inside of us, the second thing we need to understand is that a transformational relationship with Jesus is nurtured through spiritual disciplines, but not legalism. A transformational relationship with Jesus is nurtured through spiritual disciplines, but not through legalism. I want you to understand the difference in this. Spiritual disciplines happen these are things that we do so that our relationship with Jesus grows stronger. So spiritual disciplines are things that we do. We discipline ourselves to do these things so that our relationship with Jesus grows stronger. Now listen, legalism is doing the same things for the wrong reason. So prayer, the word, worship, community, all of these things, spiritual disciplines, ways that I experience the grace of God again and again and again. But I do it because the end goal is to know him better. The end goal of a spiritual discipline is to know him better. The end goal of legalism is a continual effort to be accepted. The end goal is the discipline. If I do the discipline, then I will be accepted. And yet, this is the problem. When the discipline is the end goal, there's no experience with God. And so it becomes this exhausting, tedious performance that's just redundant and frustrating because the end goal is just, I need to read my Bible. I just need to get through a chapter. I just need to check the box on my reading plan. I gotta get through this thing. I gotta get through, I'm just gonna plow. And so it's, it's not an end goal that says, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know him better like Paul in Philippians three. I just wanna know him. 
It's not out of devotion, it's out of duty. Legalism is when that spiritual discipline is the end in itself. But the end goal should be spending time with Jesus, knowing him better. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, I'm not gonna go there and read that. But Paul is basically telling the Corinthians through some athletic analogies. He talks about running a race and, and running it right. And if you don't run it right, you get disqualified. He talks about boxing and he says, I don't beat the air aimlessly like a boxer, shadow boxing. He says, I beat my body, I make it my slave. Now, Paul didn't walk around punching himself like my arm coming out from under the pillow and hit me in the face, right? He, that wasn't what he's talking about. He's saying, I'm disciplining myself. Basically, what he was telling the Corinthians is this. He's basically saying, y'all are getting a little bit spiritually flabby. He said, you're not pressing into Jesus. You, you, you need to understand this. You're getting a little bit spiritually flabby. It's kind of like me. I had shoulder surgery on September 24th. Haven't worked out in a month. I'm starting to feel like I have a blanket wrapped around my waist. Anybody else ever feel that, right? It's like, <laughs> especially after I eat all day, I go in there and I, I'm, I'm like getting ready for bed. I take my shirt off. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Come over here to turn my microphone on. I'm like, can't see the light. I'm like trying to get it to shine off my hand to see if I can, is that thing on? Trying to figure it out, right? Get a little flabby. We all have a tendency to do this spiritually. And here's the thing, spiritual disciplines and being devoted, listen, being devoted, it does not mean that I always have a desire for the discipline. It's not always there, but it does mean that the end goal of knowing God is there. And listen, they wouldn't be called disciplines if we always wanted to do them. So listen, what separates a spiritual discipline from legalism is the end goal. I wanna know him. Therefore, I will discipline myself. I will strive and strain. I will press in. I will pray for more grace. God, do in me, for me, do through me, God, what I cannot do for myself. Give me the grace to, to desire to do these things. But God, even if I don't desire it because I wanna know you better, I'm gonna stubbornly pursue you. I'm gonna pray for grace and I'm gonna press in to Jesus. Because the end goal is this, I just wanna know him. So I will beat my body, I will make it my slave, I will do what I have to do to get closer to you, God, because my heart belongs to you. I am devoted to you. The last one is this, a transformational or transformative relationship with Jesus. A transformative relationship with Jesus is encouraged and emboldened through healthy accountability, not moral policing. Listen, a transformative relationship with Jesus is encouraged and emboldened through healthy accountability, not moral policing. So one, it's birthed out of devotion, not duty. Two, it's birthed out of spiritual disciplines and nurtured through spiritual disciplines, not legalism. And three, it's encouraged and emboldened through healthy accountability, not moral policing. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, which we read a while back, tells us not to forsake the gathering together and of brothers. And he said, get together so you can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, towards love and good deeds. And so when we see this, we begin to see the purpose of the gathering. 
whether it's many or whether it's a few, that the purpose of the gathering is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And this is really a picture of accountability. We're gonna come together and we're gonna spur one another on. We're gonna encourage one another. Through that encouragement, we're gonna embolden one another. We're gonna give more courage and more, more desire and even more discipline to this relationship with Jesus. That's why community is so important. We're not supposed to do this by ourselves. And so community, encouraging and urging one another on towards love, towards good deeds, towards Jesus. But moral policing is what the church has been known for the most. Moral policing, what do I mean by that? It's basically when we guilt other people into behavior modification, especially in front of other people. When we guilt people into behavior modification, especially when we're in front of other people, that's what we would call hypocrisy. It's when I modify my behavior, but it's not who I really am. Hypocrisy is not being imperfect. Hypocrisy is being imperfect while claiming perfection. And so moral policing is this nasty function of peer pressure and manipulation that the church has gotten really good at. We're just gonna keep you guilty so we can keep you coming back at least occasionally. We're just gonna keep you guilty so that you'll keep giving at least occasionally. We're not gonna tell you you're forgiven because if you know you're forgiven, you might not come back. But if you have a revelation of grace, understand this, you won't be able to help but coming back because this revelation of who Jesus is, even on Sundays when you open the window um, blind up and you look out the window and it's raining, you're gonna say, you know what? I need to be with my brothers and sisters just to worship. When I have this revelation of grace, and, 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 and I'm in this healthy relationship, this healthy accountability, then look, I know that there's somebody there that's willing to hold my feet to the fire. I have this person in my life, I meet with them every Tuesday morning, every Monday morning, actually twice a week because I'm extra jacked up. And I know this, when he sits down and he looks at me and he says, I have something I need to talk to you about. I start freezing, I'm like, oh my gosh, what'd I do, what'd I do, what'd I do, what'd I do, what'd I do? And then he was like, I wanna say this the right way, but here's the thing I will always say, I'll always say this, just tell me. Just tell me. And here's why I can say that. Here's why I can look at him. Tell me, just tell me the truth. Even if it hurts, just tell me the truth. I wanna tell you some reasons that I can say this. And you need to look for this in relationships with people. You need to look for this in relationships in a healthy accountability relationship. We don't need to fall into moral policing. We don't need to just sit down with one another and go, do you look at porn this week? No, well, what about you? Yeah, oh, well, don't do that anymore. How's that work out? Doesn't. We need people who are gonna encourage and spur us on towards Jesus. And so here's some things. The first thing that has to exist, while well, I'm sweating, or leaking, it might be grease, I don't know. <laughs> but here's some things that have to exist in a healthy accountability, in a transformative relationship that is built on healthy accountability. Number one is trust. You have to trust the person. 
I trust my mentor. I trust him to speak into my life. I know his heart for me is that he cares. He loves me. And so I know I can trust what he's saying. He's not trying to hurt me. He's trying to make me better so that I can seize the opportunity to glorify God in all the ways that he's called me to do that. So there's trust. When there's trust, there can be honest conversations. So trust, honest conversations. When I trust you and you trust me, I trust you to speak into my life. Now listen, if I don't know you, don't walk up to me and be like, yeah, you got some sin in your life, you need to get out. I'm like, who are you? But when you know someone and you trust them, then we can have this honest conversation about the things going on in our lives. And you have a right to do that with each other because you're actually in each other's lives. So there's honest conversation. The second thing is, or third thing is, and this is really important, guys, that there is a common agreed upon goal. There is a common agreed upon goal. In other words, we wanna get to the same place. If there's not a common agreed upon goal, then it's not gonna work. That becomes legalism and moral policing because I'm trying to help you. Listen, guys, this is really, really, really important. I'm trying to help you get somewhere you don't want to go. And that's the problem in church many times is we're trying to take people places they don't want to go. It's like we grab them around the neck and around the chest and we start trying to drag them. That's not healthy accountability. If, if we're going to have a healthy account, a transformative relationship with Jesus, that one of the aspects of that is healthy accountability. There has to be trust. There has to be honest conversations and there has to be a common agreed upon goal. In other words, we want to get to the same place. And if I want to truly get to that place, then listen, hold my feet to the fire. You tell me the truth. Don't you let me walk around like the emperor with no clothes on. You hurt my feelings if you have to, so I can get to where I say I want to go because I just want to know him. The last thing then is healthy accountability. It's built on trust, honest conversations, and a common agreed upon goal. And here's the thing, a lot of times like, when we tell people like, hey, do this or don't do that, like, look, this is hindering your walk. People quickly in the church today, they go to two things. Don't judge me. Sorry, I thought you wanted to go there. Or either, that's legalism. Sorry, thought you wanted to know him. And so we, we quickly go to those two things. But understand this, encouraging one another and holding one another accountable is no more legalistic than hiring a personal trainer to get you in shape. It's no different, right? Nobody's ever hired a personal trainer and then they come in and they're like, give me 25 sit-ups, quit eating that candy bar, stay away from the French fries, go do some bench press and some squats, run a couple of miles. You don't ever turn around to your personal trainer and go, you're just being legalistic, don't judge me. Because that's the point. They're there to help push you, to help spur you on towards a goal that you both have. That's healthy accountability. Now, I want you to see this, and I'm gonna wrap up. I want you to see that all of this happens through the Holy Spirit. How does the Bible say we receive the Holy Spirit? We ask. How are we continually filled with the Holy Spirit? We abide in Jesus. We ask. We, we walk in grace. We walk in faith. We press in to Jesus. 
We read, we, we study, we spend time with, with people who will urge me on and spur me on. I want you to notice that nothing in either of those three things, whether it's devotion, not duty, spiritual disciplines, not legalism, healthy accountability, not moral policing. Listen, none of those three things speak of changing ourselves. It's all because the reason we change is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Ultimately, all of this comes down to the power of the Holy Spirit, not our willpower to change ourselves. But when I have a revelation of God's grace that's given to me through the power of the Holy Spirit, it makes me live out of devotion, not duty. And even when I don't feel it, I'm still gonna press on because I wanna know him. When I have this revelation of God's grace given to me by the power of the Holy Spirit, then what I begin to see and what I begin to realize is that I wanna discipline myself. I don't wanna fall into some legalistic moral performance, religious performance and obligation, but I wanna discipline myself to push forward, to push on. When I realize and have this revelation of grace given to me by the power of the Holy Spirit, then I invite people into my life who love me, who I trust, who will speak honestly to me, and then who will encourage me towards a common goal. And I begin to see transformation in my life because where people gather in unity, where God's people gather in unity, the Bible says he commands a blessing, the blessing of his power, his presence, and his purpose in your life. And so I gather together and the spirit of God begins to work in me. If there's one thing that the church needs to recapture today, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to get away from this moral obligation that we've somehow settled into that is dead and frustrating and lifeless. And we need to recapture who Jesus is. We need to recapture the power of the Holy Spirit and we need to grab hold of God and we need to just say with a stubborn resolve, I will not let go because I wanna know you more. And so we need the Spirit of God. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna cry, we're gonna cry for the Spirit of God to fill us again, just like in Acts 4, the place where they were was shaken. Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you promised us, Lord. You promised in your word that when we ask for more of him, that you will give and that you will not withhold more of your spirit. And so today, God, let the light into our hearts, Lord. We open up our hearts to you. Would you fill us and overflow us with the power of your spirit to do what only you can do, to work in us in an amazing way, God, to change our hearts, to change our attitudes. God, that if we don't have this great revelation of your grace, God, that you would give it, that you would give it to us through the power of your spirit. That God, if we aren't practicing the spiritual disciplines so that we can grow closer to you, that you would give us a desire for your word. You would give us a desire for more of your presence, a desire for prayer, a desire to just meditate on who you are, God, a desire for community. Would you do that in our hearts, God? And would you surround us with people that we can trust, that will speak honestly into our lives? And God, that will, will be able then to, to push us and spur us on towards a common goal of knowing you. God, we need more of your presence, more of your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, amen.